Well, hello again. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. It was just a few weeks ago that I wrote about the joys of being a conservative, and now it seems that the evil Anglican conservatives are at it again, forming breakaway churches, apparently, causing material harm and distress to LBGTQ people by blatantly refusing to agree with them, engaging in schismatic actions that various liberal bishops are sadly shaking their heads at and purporting not to really understand, which would be completely hilarious if it weren't such a disingenuous pitch for media sympathy, and so on. When various friends and family ask me what the story is with this new Diocese of the Southern Cross that's been formed, I tell them that you've really got to understand the background to understand what's going on. The Anglican denomination, like many denominations around the world, has been home to various different and incompatible belief systems for some time now. Broadly speaking, those belief systems tend to filter down into two alternatives, two religions in a way, with fundamentally different approaches to God and the Bible and truth and what Christianity is. Now, some people try to limp between these two views. Others try to find a way to kind of compromise or to live and let live. But even allowing for all the variations of individual circumstances and all the complexities of the world, when it comes down to it, there still are really two fundamentally opposed religious viewpoints at work within Anglicanism, and the current dispute is just the latest manifestation of this fact. Jim Packer, J.I. Packer, once summarised these two belief systems as objectivist and subjectivist, and this is how he put it in typically J.I. Packer fashion. The objectivist position is the historic Christian belief that through the prophets, the incarnate son, the apostles, and the writers of canonical scripture as a body, God has used human language to tell us definitively and transculturally about his ways, his works, his will, and his worship. Furthermore, this revealed truth is grasped by letting the Bible interpret itself to us from within, in the knowledge that the way into God's mind is through that of the writers. Through them, the Holy Spirit, who inspired them, teaches the church. The second view applies to Christianity, the Enlightenment's trust in human reason, along with the fashionable evolutionary assumption that the present is wiser than the past. It concludes that the world has the wisdom and the church must play intellectual catch-up in each generation in order to survive. From this standpoint, everything in the Bible becomes relative to the church's evolving insights, which themselves are relative to society's continuing development. Nothing stands still. And the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry is to help the faithful see where Bible doctrine shows the cultural limitations of the ancient world and needs adjustment in light of latter-day experience. Same-sex unions are one example. This view is scarcely 50 years old, though its antecedents go back much further. I call it the subjectivist position. That's from an article published in Christianity Today way back in 2003 in which we reproduced in the briefing. If you have briefings, you can find it in briefing 204 in March 2003 and the article's called Why I Walked. 
It's typical J.I. Packer, of course. It's thoughtful, careful, comprehensive and crystal clear in highlighting the issues, but very English and kind of polite all the same. I wonder if we could express it a bit more vividly. If I were one of those old-time African-American preachers, you know, the ones who use this escalating rhythm and structure to compare two things, I might flesh out the differences between these two kinds of belief systems more like this. There's one religion based on an objective revelation. There's another religion based on a subjective implication, and that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion in which the Bible changes human culture. There's another religion in which human culture changes the Bible, and that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion that is inflexible about truth, but flexible about human traditions. There's another religion that's flexible about truth, but clings to human traditions tenaciously, and that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion that puts the highest value on listening to God's word. There's another religion that puts the highest value on listening to each other. And that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion about God seeking the lost. There's another religion about the lost seeking God. And that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion that calls me to repent from my sin. There's another religion that tells me I can stay as I am. And that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion that believes that God knows the truth about men, women and marriage because he created all three. There's another religion that believes that there's no solid truth about men, women and marriage because all three can mean what we say they mean. And that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion that the mainstream media loathe and oppose. And there's one religion that the mainstream media tolerate and occasionally support. And that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion that looks plain and unimpressive, but trusts the power of God. There's another religion that has the gaudy appearance of godliness, but denies its power. And that's why Anglicanism is divided. There's one religion that is seeing churches grow and lives transformed. There's another religion that is seeing churches die and lives unchanged. And that's why Anglicanism is divided. Now, perhaps I'm getting a little bit carried away here. And some of these comparisons are admittedly a little bit fruity. But then again, that's how preachers preach. There are two religions within Anglicanism although not everyone recognises it. In fact, there are many good people sitting in usually dying churches all around Australia, run by proponents of the subjectivist version of Anglicanism, who don't really know what's going on or how much they are being misled. But certainly there are subjectivist leaders who do know exactly what's going on and who occupy positions of power in various dioceses around Australia. And that's the other piece of background to understand in all of this. Within Australian Anglicanism, there are 27 dioceses, each of which is a geographically based group of churches. Each of these dioceses is independent in its governance, with representatives from the different dioceses getting together occasionally in a national synod. But that national body really has very little decision-making power. So if you're an objectivist church or pastor... In a largely subjectivist diocese with subjectivist leadership, things can get a bit tricky, and sometimes vice versa, of course, as well, although that's less typically an issue. 
And this is why the new Diocese of the Southern Cross, as it's been called, has been formed. It's like a virtual diocese for objectivist Anglicans who are finding it increasingly impossible to minister with integrity in dioceses run by subjectivist Anglicans, especially given the determination of some of those dioceses to go their own way on issues of same-sex unions and human sexuality and similar issues. It's not creating a split or a schism. The division and difference has been there and operative for many decades, and this is just the latest expression of it. In the end, we can't avoid the reality that there will be alternative views and false teaching in these last days. The Bible warns us about that. But we can and should avoid fellowship with such people, as 2 Timothy 3.5 says. The two positions ultimately cannot mix or compromise. In fact, if they do, it ends up as a victory for subjectivism, of course. And so, this new safe haven diocese for objectivist Anglican churches. Like most of these kinds of things, like most central denominational sort of structures, I don't think this new diocese is going to do all that much to actually grow the gospel or to see real significant change in churches. But in providing support and encouragement for sometimes beleaguered objectivist churches to help them persevere and stick with it, it's doing a good thing. And so we should support it. Well, there are some random thoughts on the latest instalment in this long-running battle, a battle certainly not confined to Anglicanism, a battle that starts in the New Testament between those who trust God's word and cling to the gospel as the good deposit is handed down and those who distort it or twist it or change it or stop trusting in it in some form or other. And so we shouldn't be surprised that these kinds of things happen, although of course we're grieved that they do. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, changing the subject slightly, that I was about to announce some imminent changes to the painful truth. I'm sorry that I'm not quite ready to do that. I'm nearly ready. Things are just about all in place for me to press the button, but not quite yet. And hopefully next week I'll be able to bring you some news about that. Thanks for your patience there. In the meantime, it's been great to be with you once again. This has been a partner-only edition of The Painful Truth. As always, feel free to share it around with those that you'd like to share it with and to use it to discuss these current issues and get in touch and let me know what you think. I'm always really keen to hear from you. You can email me at tonyjpain at me.com. You can press reply to the email that comes in from The Painful Truth uh, or you can go across to the website to thepainfultruth.online and comment there as well. Well, thanks once again for being here this week. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.